today on Ag News Daily. The early impression was in Brasilia, really nice capital, and then we started getting out on the farms and uh, just amazed. I mean, you, you knew it was going to be big, but you just can't imagine how vast uh, agriculture is down there. What's the countdown to Valentine's Day? We're sitting here February 1st. Just a reminder to all you listeners, you still have time to put this off until the holiday gets here, right, Delaney? Right. What are you getting me for Valentine's Day, Tanner, your favorite podcast co-host? I should send you a a pink microphone, a heart-shaped microphone. I actually really like that. I would love a pink microphone. (laughs) I don't know if I make that, but that feels very on brand for Delaney. I uh, I might have to grab one of those old Fender mics and just spray paint it pink for you. I would also take that. That'd be a pretty sweet gift, actually. <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh. Well, listeners, hopefully uh, this reminds you that there's a holiday coming up for that special somebody in your life. We also know here that uh, the forecasted dense fog didn't hang around very long here in central Iowa. Parts of north and central Iowa, southern Minnesota are going to see those lingering fog events. South Dakota, Wisconsin, Nebraska also could see some fringe areas there. Visibility would have been down to less than a half a mile. Those advisories are in place until about noon today. The southern plains will have thunderstorms that are expected to fire up starting tomorrow afternoon. Could be strong with hail and wind as far as that goes. But Delaney, February is also known for Groundhog's Day. The forecast for Punxsutawney Phil, as he makes his annual prediction Friday morning, calls for cloudy skies, which is in the favor of no shadow sighting. This is going to potentially lead to an early spring, according to the folklore and legend. History shows, though, shadow sighting and six more weeks of winter is more than likely the outcome, according to long-range forecasts. So he may be wrong again based upon the weather conditions, Delaney. Okay, I always get this confused. If he sees his shadow, does that mean more winter or less winter? If he sees his shadow, he goes back into his hole and there's six more weeks of winter. Okay, so we want him... Not to see a shadow. We want it to be cloudy. That's correct. Okay. I don't know why. That always throws me off every year. I really have to think about it. Absolutely. Well, it seems like Congress has been busy, Tanner, as I've got quite a few headlines here related to some different acts of Congress, so to speak. The, uh, let's see, a bipartisan bill was introduced in both the House and the Senate earlier this week, known as the Fair and Accurate Ingredient Representation, or FAIR, on Labels Act of 2024. This new act introduced by both the House and the Senate aims to establish new labeling requirements for both plant-based and cell-cultured meat alternative products. Represent, or excuse me, Senator Roger Marshall and Senator Mark Alford in the House, both seek to ensure clear labeling for all consumers, including terms like imitation and cell cultured on product labels. They said labels like meat and milk are misleading for consumers who may think that those actually contain ingredients that come from animals. The Fair Labels Act introduces specific definitions as well for imitation meat and imitation poultry, as well as plant-based meat alternatives, but these definitions would apply to products that resemble meat but do not actually contain meat. 
For cell-cultured meat and poultry products, the bill establishes definitions and grants the USDA authority over that specific labeling, Tanner. But it'll be interesting to see how this one tracks through Congress and whether or not it's received with support. Yeah, we'll follow that for our listeners. We got two headlines yesterday from John Deere. John Deere and Corteva are going to partner up on customized agronomic solutions. The John Deere Operations Center will work with Corteva's agronomic recommendations for our partners to see and customers to get directly to their cab. The onboard capabilities of John Deere combined with that agronomic analysis from Corteva could provide customized agronomic insights. This would allow equipment via precision ag technology of John Deere to operate pioneer sales representatives to provide direct support to their customers and farmers to make improved decision-making. So there'll be a lot more details coming out about that. I'm sure there will be plenty of conversations down at Commodity Classic in regards to that partnership. We also saw John Deere's new telescoping compact wheel loader, their 326P series, a loader that has a 16-foot extendable boom and a lot of technology to keep operators safe. Operators will enjoy the cab visibility and boom controls. If your load gets too far out extended and the safety triggers are met, the operator will only be able to lessen the tip possibility with his controls being locked out of extending or raising until they are returned back to a safer position. So to their John Deere headlights that have come out, comes out with a 23 mile an hour top speed, which is pretty good for wheel loaders as well, Delaney. Yeah, that's pretty fast. Absolutely. Tanner, sorry, I'm gonna take us back to DC here for a moment because the other headline I had related to some legislation was that farmers may actually get a chance to deduct larger equipment purchases and buildings after the House of Representatives overwhelmingly passed a $78 billion tax package on Wednesday night. The House voted 357 to 70 to pass a tax package that includes a mix of business tax credits along with the expansion of the child tax credit. Under the bill, farmers and other small businesses would get a boost from plans to allow 100% bonus depreciation for certain property, including 20-year buildings. Farmers could also opt for a slightly higher Section 179 deduction for their 2024 equipment, which could serve the same purpose. As we know, the uh, QBI, Qualified Business Income, ends 100% depreciation through the tax bill. And this new legislation could extend that 100% QBI tax bonus for farmers and, of course, other business owners as well. Of course, it has to fly through the House as well now, Tanner, or excuse me, the Senate as well. Uh, And that's where some opposition is expected to happen. But we will hopefully see a partner bill passed in the Senate very soon. That is uh, probably something that, again, we'll keep an eye on because it sounds like it could have some pretty large impacts. Uh, We looked at a one-on-one conversation with FBN's interim CEO, Devin Lammers. Since the company started, it was ran and led by its co-founder, Amal. However, when his exit in February 2023 took place, FBN's mission did not change. However, they have a refined, redefined focus. They are focused on increasing profitability, 
overall narrowing their target towards profitability within their own company and the profitability of farmers. They have gone through a couple of rounds of layoffs and resizing their team, and they are not hosting their annual farmer to farmer event in 2023 and are considering not hosting it in 2024. They plan to bring it back, but now they have nearly 80,000 farmer members, Delaney, and are looking to change its subscription model to continue to provide value and double their signups. They're looking to add about 16,000 more farmers to transact with them this spring, overall looking at a 33,000 farm increase by the end of the year to that subscriber there. So FBN is certainly focusing on profitability within their company. Also wanna hit the end of my headlines here with our ethanol production update. Ethanol output rebounded from a multi-year low last week up to 991,000 barrels per day. The stockpiles fell, which is good to see some production back in place. They fell to 24.27 million barrels. That's down from 25.815 million. So a huge drop in stockpiles, Delaney, but that's mainly because of the production shutdown as well. So ethanol update there to wrap up my headlines. Well, the final headline I have here, Tanner, is the U.S. cattle on feed report for January 31st was released yesterday to show what inventory we had on on feed as of January 1. All cattle and calves in the United States as of January 1 totaled 87.2 million head. That's 2% below January 1st of 2023. So we do continue to see the cow herd shrinking here. All cows and heifers that are that have calved at 37.6 million head were also 2% lower as well as uh, milk cows were also down just slightly from the previous year. When we look at calf, the calf crop, the 2023 calf crop in the United States was estimated at 33.6 million head down 2% from the year prior. And uh, what this continues to tell us, Tanner, is we're seeing a shrinking cow herd. What that's going to do for market prices is the big question, because at some point here, Demand and inflation will probably push the market back lower. But for now, analysts are saying that these were positive numbers that continue should continue to keep a floor under the cattle market. But speaking of markets, Tanner, what do you say we take a look at the overnights here? As you get the overnights pulled up, I did pull up the headlines from Russia and Ukraine. EU leaders announced that they agreed to a 50 billion dollar or 50 billion euro support or 54 billion dollar aid package for Ukraine. The European Council President Charles Michael made that statement on social media. This is overcoming weeks of confrontation with Hungary. Ukraine's chief army uh, is their army chief may be dismissed from his post as a consideration of receiving this aid package. So I'm sure that there will be more coming there. Otherwise, looks like overnight it was a fairly quiet attack record between Russia and Ukraine. Not a lot of updates there for additional damage or injuries. So where'd those markets open up? Well, as we take a look at the overnights here, heading into opening session, March corn this morning down three and three quarters cents at 444 and a half. March soybeans down 14 and a quarter at 1208. 
In the wheat complex here this morning, March wheat down six and three quarters cents at 588 and a half. KC hard red March winter wheat down six pennies at 616. And March spring wheat down a penny and three quarters cents at 690 and a half. Taking a look at the livestock markets here as they open higher this morning. April live cattle will open on the board at a buck 8070. March feeder cattle will open this morning at 24015 and April lean hogs will open at 8482 and a half. Dinner today's conversation is a fun one. We're taking things down to a trip to Brazil with Delas Yankee, a fellow farm broadcaster who literally just came off the plane to have this conversation with us. So let's turn it over to that. Well, Tanner, I'm super excited for today's conversation, chatting with a fellow farm broadcaster, Delas Yankee, with the RFD Radio Network at Illinois Farm Bureau. Delas, you have had the trip of a lifetime here recently, and we are so excited to have you join us on the podcast today to learn more. Thank you, Delaney. Uh, hello, Tanner. And yes, it was, it really was a trip of a lifetime. I was pleased to go on the Comstock Brazil farmland tour, Comstock Investments, which is based in Iowa, uh, headquartered there. And uh, their president, Matthew Cruz, his wife, Carol. Carol is from Brazil. And they have uh, a tour that we saw a lot in about 10 days. I left Friday the 19th and I landed back in Chicago uh, Tuesday morning the 30th. So there was a lot of running around for about a week and a half. I'm always eager to get people's first impressions when they step into countries like Brazil being such a big competitor of the United States. What were your first impressions when you landed in Brazil, Delos? Yeah, I I landed in Brasilia at like four in the morning. And one of the things that, that you, you, you know, I've watched too many of those Liam Neeson movies and stuff. And you're always just afraid of of what it's like to travel like that but one thing that i certainly learned especially over time i mean brazil people are just so nice and and especially you know uh folks in rural areas uh whether it's here whether it's halfway around the world whether it's down south america you know it just seems like there's a uh some sort of um maybe brotherhood or or uh you know we everybody got along really well and it was it was so enjoyable talking to those those families but uh, Brasilia was interesting because they built it basically in 1960 you know it's only been their capital for 60 some years and that was one of the interesting things just about as you move around certain parts of Brazil you know Mato Grosso a lot of those farms are only 40 some years old we were on a farm that the folks got there in 1986 uh, the first one we saw was in, I think, 1976. People had come from far southern Illinois. Uh, Illinois, that's where I'm from. People had come from far southern Brazil, uh, hearing about potential for opportunity, and might have lived in tents for a while at best, but some were able to really make a go of it and and build these huge farms, uh, which, which we see now today. So. Yeah, some of the early the early impression was in Brasilia, really nice capital, and then we started getting out on the farms and uh, just amazed. I mean, you you knew it was going to be big, but you just can't imagine how vast um, agriculture is down there. 
So when you are out touring these farms, was your focus to hit a diverse set of owner groups or what was the selection process for those visits? Yeah, well, one of them was actually so Matthew's in-laws, essentially, Carol's family, coffee, soybeans, a lot of that was uh, seed beans, some corn, they have a huge dairy. And then others were uh, friends or, or people that they've gotten to know over time. Matthew went down to Brazil for the first time, I think in 2001. He was in a different part of the country from from where his wife's farm is. Um, but he's gone down there many, many times and, and has some some business contacts and and uh, uh, some, some connections down there. Uh, but most of them, big farms, a lot of soybeans, some of them double crop corn, some of them double crop cotton. Uh, there was one that uh, they had some irrigated ground. They had a third crop uh, where they grew edible beans. So it was kind of weird. You know, you, 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 you think about that, you think about that in the U.S. and you think about it in Brazil. So a farm there could be 50,000 acres, but they farm it twice. So you could say they farm 100,000 acres. And if they had a third crop, maybe they farmed 109,000 acres. It's really wild to think about that. You know, that's, that's a lot different than what we do up here. Yeah, it certainly is. And that's neat for you to share that perspective with our listeners, because I've never thought about it like that. But that mm. does make sense if you double or triple crop it. Delos, the big question I think that's on my mind as we talk about Brazil, and I'm sure is on our listeners' mind as well, is just what does the crop ground look like down there as related to some of the weather that we've been reporting on, where we've seen hot and dry in some parts of the country and super wet in other parts of the country? What did you see from your perspective? Yeah, we went to one farm where they planted soybeans starting September 16. They didn't get a rain until December 22. And they said it was their worst crop. And the quality of the crop was not very good either. I'd love to talk to folks on soybean boards that travel and go around the world and say, gosh, our beans are so much better than they are in Brazil. But um, the other, and, and, and on that same farm, they were cutting beans that, I don't know what the moisture level was, but you looked at the field, and you're like, these aren't ready yet. But they needed a higher moisture to blend with the really, really low moisture just to have something that that uh, they they could offer. There were we saw a lot of that in Monte Grosso, where uh, there was one that said the irrigated ground was probably going to do 80 bushels an acre, but some of the dry land may not even hit 10 bushels an acre. So we we certainly saw. Uh, the impacts of a really, really, really dry stretch that they had. Now, on one of the farms, they said since it started raining December 22, they'd had 20 inches. And one time they had one rainfall was about seven and a half and it all just soaked. And so uh, they weren't worried that they were getting too much rainfall. They were uh, a little concerned about impact of insects and also uh, maybe questions about availability for product to, to deal with those insects. You know, it never freezes down there. So those insects, we, I'm just glad I was afraid we were going to see stuff flying all over the place, you know, being in, in a big country like that, but, but it certainly wasn't the case. Um, but another part of your question, Delaney, you know, when, when they clear that land originally, it's maybe a pH of four, um, we were being told. So it really takes a lot of effort to get that 
um, much more toward productivity. And then the other thing is, it's so much different. There's no natural gas. There's no anhydrous. There's nothing's being knifed into the ground. So we saw soybeans being harvested. And then right next to that, where they would have harvested the day before, there's a guy out spreading urea, broadcasting it over the field, and boom, the planter's right behind him. So the way they approach fertility is quite a bit different. Uh, their corn may average like 130 or 140. And, you know, if they change some things, maybe they could get to 180. But I don't know if they could handle 180 bushel corn just based on their infrastructure and, you know, how they're able to, to operate down there. So it, it, it really was fascinating just to see. It was great to see harvest in play because you just saw all the the wheels in motion of what goes on going from first crop to, to second crop. Delas, as you share a little bit more about some of the other things you saw outside of the farms, did you guys get to tour any sort of um, infrastructure, seeing roads and bridges or port facilities or anything outside of just the farm life in, in Brazil? Yeah, we didn't get to see the, the ports. I would have loved to see that, but it's just so far away. That that would have been. I just can't believe how big Brazil is. Like the the Amazon is bigger. The Amazon rainforest is bigger than Europe. You know, some of those countries are kind of small, but I mean, Europe. You think that's you know, it's a whole continent. And Brazil, uh, just there, you know, just the Amazon uh, area is as big as as a continent is. Uh, the one thing about that though. I mean, everywhere we went was a two-lane road. Unless they did have it figured out on some hills, they'd build that second lane for trucks. But everything was a two-lane road. And some of these towns were built because ag started developing there. And so even some of the towns may not be very old. But there were two places. Like, we flew into one town in, in Monte Grosso, and our hotel was... 80 kilometers south of that there's two lanes all the way i felt like they built the road once and they've been patching it ever since i mean it was not smooth potholes were fixed but but it was not smooth by any means it was just a it's like one of those county roads where they just kind of patch the area and then they go on to the next one and so with these two lane roads and there are trucks everywhere because there are no trains they have very little railroad infrastructure in there so there's all these trucks and you can't pass because you're on a two-lane road and there's trucks coming the other direction. So you're just as fast as the slowest truck you have to deal with. That to me was really fascinating. And and then you to get to a farm, you know, I I grew up in Kansas, everything's on a square mile. There's none of that there. You go, 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 go. These fields are so big, these pastures are so big, and then all of a sudden, oh hey, there's there's a side road, which isn't paved. You know, it's it's some sort of clay that's, you know, been packed down. And there was one day we were driving in the rain thinking, boy, I hope we get through this and get back. Um, because that's that's just the way their setup is there. And we thought, well, you know, eventually they'll fix this. Like like the town we drew we flew into, the airport was horrible. I mean, I felt like we were in the third world at that point. And there was no bypass road to get around town to get to the main road you know you went through town just takes longer than it needs to and you think well they'll fix this but people on our trip said you know they've been talking about this for 10 or 15 years of you know we'll improve this and nothing ever gets done 
for one reason or another. I won't say nothing, but not what you would think gets done. If they ever built a railroad, if they ever really expanded their highways, then we'd all we'd have an awfully tough time competing with them. I think uh, just because you know their their costs are so much lower, cost of labor so much lower, cost of land. You know that they don't have rent costs nearly as much. They also don't have financing, so it's or certainly not to the extent that we do. So there there are some things that go back and forth there, but but just the 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 roads. The infrastructure you're talking about, the the, the roads and the lack of, of rail. I saw one set of tracks the whole time we were there, and that was fascinating. I, You know, it'd be awfully tough this day and age, I think, to build a railroad when you think about the way ours was built 200 years ago. But I also think there's, in some parts of the country there, there's just so much poverty. I mean, people living in conditions where you thought if we were on a mission trip, we'd go in there. So much poverty that if you propose that we're going to build a railroad, I think you'd find people that would go out and do it just to, you know, have a chance to earn a wage and and change their lives. But yeah, infrastructure was was fascinating. And one other thing about that, we did go to one the the first ethanol plant in Montegrosso that was specifically built for corn. They do some sugar cane there, but this was for corn, and they built one seven or eight years ago. They now have three. They want to go to six. And that would take a lot of the corn there that they can buy a lot cheaper because it's so far from the ports. And they can build ethanol. And here's here's another thing about that that, that was fascinating. Uh, they, one of their byproducts is corn oil. They can take that corn oil and send it to Indiana. Apparently cheaper than we can do corn oil here in the U.S. and send it a couple of states away. So that that kind of stuff was was really eye opening of you know what they can do and and what the future might look like. So if our listeners want to get more in depth about your trip, how best do they follow along with your recount? Well, thank you, Tanner. Uh, we have a website called FarmWeekNow.com. Uh, our the Farm Bureau has a weekly paper called Farm Week, and so the website is FarmWeekNow.com. Uh, on the front page of that website, there is a picture of those of us on the tour. If you click on that picture, it'll take you to a link and you'll see sights and sounds from the Brazil farmland tour. And if you click on that, you'll be able to find a lot of the interviews that took place while we were down there. So uh, the website again is farmweeknow.com. Kind of makes me want to go, Delaney. So if our listeners want to learn more, make sure you check out his articles. I'm sure there will be plenty more details to come. I'm sure that there will be as well. He's got some good stories. I know he'll be sharing with his listeners in Illinois, but those should be also available online, Tanner. So thanks again to Delos for joining us. And uh, Tanner, what do you say? We let the folks go. Let's let them go.
you think about that in the U.S. and you think about it in Brazil. So a farm there could be 50,000 acres, but they farm it twice. So you could say they farm 100,000 acres. And if they had a third crop, maybe they farmed 109,000 acres. It's really wild to think about that. That's a lot different than what we do up here.